0: Be seated. I'm going to get to telling stories probably before I get too far into this. This morning, I was uh, studying this week and I was reminded of a, uh, a story that I hadn't told anybody in a long time. Um, probably reminiscing. My uncle's going to be with us and was reminiscing about my grandparents. And I, I was reminded of a time that I was used to ride four wheelers a lot as a kid, and we always had cattle on the farm, so you'd have to open the gate and go through on the four-wheeler and then get off and shut the gate. And I was more concerned with riding my four-wheeler or dirt bike than I I remember what I was on at the time, but I was more concerned with that than I really was with making sure that gate was closed. Um, So I kind of just swung back around and kicked the gate, figured it'll swing shut, I don't need to latch it, it'll be fine, uh, and went on with my day. And so we rode around for a while, me and a couple buddies, and we Uh, We got down and played around in the creek and played in some mud holes and we went and found some jumps and we were jumping dirt bikes or four-wheelers, whatever we were on for a while. And and we come back and it was about time we were ready to go get the grill going, eat some pork steaks. So we come back, we're headed back to the house and I get back and sure enough, I come up out of the creek and across the field and the gates open. That's a scary thought because if the gates open, you got to go start counting. So I go count and I was best of my knowledge about four cows short you got two options at this point point. one you get to go tell granny and that four cows are missing or two you try to get four cows put up before anybody finds out and being you know like 12 13 years old I I wasn't telling anybody that there were four cows missing um because now my My grandmother, that would have been okay. I'd let her know the four cows were missing, and she may beat me to death or something, but I could get over that. But my grandfather, he may have, like, looked at me crossly, and that meant a whole lot more than my grandmother beating the tar out of me, so I was not going to go tell them that these cows were missing. So we began our hunt, and the first two were pretty close, and I'm not great with a lasso, but... We had pretty tame cows, so I could I could get them roped and get them dragged back in. And the third one, it may have been a 30, 40 minutes, but we we had her back in. But there was this one old heifer. She was not, I don't mean that mean she was an old heifer. Um, she was not very cooperative. And so I go to Go to chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing. And chasing and the sun's going down, and I'm still chasing. Yeah, I don't know what time it was—eleven or twelve. Finally, we get her back in, and by then, parents are like, "Man, you guys have been going on this four wheeler a long time, and I don't know what you guys have been doing all day." Oh, we were just having a good time, mom, dad. We were just—we were having so much fun out there, we just lost track of time. And I, I can't imagine that my grandparents didn't notice um, that we were up and down the highway opening and closing gates, leading cows and out of the field. My grandfather liked to spend his time on the front porch in his rocking chair. And that field right there, the gate goes into the creek. You could pretty well see from that rocking chair. But he never said a word. I never, we had, to the end of their lives, we never discussed the day I lost four cows and had to get them found. Uh, but I'll tell you, I never left the gate open again. I never made sure that, I never just swung the gate shut and kept on with my day. It didn't matter how much of a hurry I was in or how much fun I was having or whether their cows were on the other end of the farm or not. You go through a gate, you shut it, you latch it, because that's a whole lot quicker than all the hours you spend looking for cows. That story reminded me of a story I heard a few years ago. Um, There was an Englishman traveling in Israel. And as he's traveling, he sees this sheep pen, and it is a, a rock wall that makes the pen. And, you know, you can imagine a pen to keep something. You've got a wall all the way around and a gate. And you open the gate, let the things in, shut the gate, except these sheep pens that he was seeing on his trip through Israel, there was the rock wall, and they were tall enough to keep the sheep in and out. And they went all the way around, and there was a place for a gate. But there was no gate, just an opening. And he'd go on and look at, well, maybe that one's old and they don't use it. And go to the next sheep pen and you got this, the walls and they're tall enough and they go all the way around. There's a place for a gate and there's no gate, just an opening. And he, he finally takes the time and he stops and he asks the shepherd and he says, hey, I see all your pens, but there's no way to, there's no gate. There's nothing to keep the sheep in or out. There's just an opening and What happens at night? You chase all the sheep and you get them in the pen or lead them or however you shepherd sheep. I never shepherded any sheep, but you get the sheep in the pen and and how do you keep them? How do they stay in there? What keeps them from when you go to bed keeps the sheep from going on out? And I related with this part of the story because never had sheep, but we had some cows growing up and I've had some goats and and I know that you got to get them in and you got to keep them in. And if they're goats, then you got to go find where they got out and get them back in and try to keep them in. And you can find where they got out again. I hate goats. I, they're good at eating and good at making covering Bibles. They're not real good at staying in my pens. Um, but I, I'm familiar with the concept, so I understood this story. But then the shepherd answers the English traveler and he says, Well, sir, when it's night, when it's time, I, I lead my sheep into the pen And then at that opening, I lay down. Because I am the gate. I don't need a a wooden gate that I can swing shut to latch right there because that wooden gate could be tripped and come open or something could come against it and make it fall down. And if I'm off sleeping somewhere else, I don't know what happened. And as the shepherd, I care for my sheep. So I lay in that gap and I, I am the gate. That's why the pens don't have... Gates And for thousands of years, Middle Eastern shepherds have made a pen that is a circle or a square of rocks piled up. And at the center place, they leave an opening about the size of the shepherd. It's a shepherd-sized opening for the shepherd to lie in the gap because the shepherd is the gate. This is how my reminiscing got me from remembering when I lost my grandpa's cows to John 14 and 6. And if anybody knows, the reward's still out for my Bible. I'm reminded every time I flip through a Bible, we're up to four ribeyes. You find my Bible, four ribeyes will come your way because I miss it. John 14 and 6, Jesus says unto him, Thomas has come to Jesus. And he said, Lord, we don't know where you go. How do we know the way? And Jesus answers, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you've known me, you should have known my Father, and from henceforth you know him, and you have seen him, and Christ is telling him, I am the way to get here. This reminded me of the shepherd, and we, there's some other scriptures we could talk that talk of Christ really being that shepherd and of laying as that gate for us, but as I thought of John fourteen six as I was studying this week, I realized that he says, I am the way, I'm the truth of the life, no man can come to the Father but by me. You know how the shepherd gets or the sheep gets into the pen past the shepherd. He can only get into the pen with the shepherd and he can only get out of the pen with the shepherd because the shepherd was the way into the pen. This morning I probably won't ever make my way into a sheep pen in Israel, but I'd sure like to make heaven my home. There's a lot of things I may not do that I'd like to. I think it'd be great to go to Israel and tour and I'd be the goofy guy that got sidelined sitting for a couple hours talking to the shepherd about sheep herding. But I, I think that would be wonderful. But while I may never get to do that, that's not important. That is immaterial in the long term. But what is important is that I make heaven my home. And if I am to make heaven my home, I must know the way. No different than if the sheep wants to make the pen his home that night, to be safe from whatever critters are out there chasing him, he's got to know the shepherd. The shepherd's not going to say, well, you're a sheep, you're a sheep, you're a sheep, and see the wolf come by and say, come on in, you're a sheep too. He says, no, you can't come in. Christ is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And In today's world, it's oftentimes given this, uh, you take the high road, I take the low road, we'll all get to Scotland together type attitude that, Whatever we believe in and whatever we believe on, it's all okay. And I'm sorry, that's not what the book says. It is a sentiment. I'm not even going to say it's a sentiment that I am too awful fond of, but it is a sentiment of people that it doesn't matter really what you do. As long as you believe in something, you'll be okay. And you'll get to wherever and whatever you believe in. But the book says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The only way I can make heaven my home is to come through Jesus Christ this morning, I'd like to know him. This morning, I would like to come to be more like him. This morning, I want to find that way. I want to know that truth. I want to know that life because at the end of the day, I want to make heaven my home. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, the very first verse I ever memorized. I was in my grandmother's Sunday school class somewhere, I don't know, six years old, something like that. May not be the first verse I ever memorized. It's the first one I remember memorizing. Is, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, I know that because I can quote all eight verses that I learned that quarter to be given a Bible. That I had to quote eight verses to, to get a Bible, and I, I remember that it stuck with me to this day. But it's pretty clear as Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus that one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It was pretty clear in the Old Testament as. It was given Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is only one way. Now, I come from a place where I've been told there's no way to get there. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Piedmont or not. There, there are plenty of good roads coming in by my standards. My standards just aren't very high. Um, but, but I have a friend that routinely tells me and says, You can't get there. I don't know how you get to Piedmont. There's there's no way to get there. I say that it's the greatest place in the world, and any road you have to endure to get there is well worth it. And the corners are just better. That's where you get to drag your toes on the motorcycle when you're cornering. Um, But I I like it. But I come from a place where people say, and I've been told my whole life, you really can't get there from here. But I think there's at least one good way in. But heaven, there is not more than one way there's not other ways there's not back roads there's not you can't take this gravel road to get around that road to go this way or that way or uh, there's just one way I'm not a proponent most of the time of going one way somewhere I now if I'm in a hurry or I'm traveling got the kids with me family with me we'll find the quickest straightest way and I'll get there as quickly as possible before everybody decides that they need to eat and use the restroom and Ask me if they're there yet. Uh, So I want to get there but most of the time I tend to take a back road, a curvy road. I I like to see all the sights. I like to know where all the old vehicles are sitting in the fields. I may need that old vehicle or a part off of it someday. I need to know where it's at. Never mind that I don't know who owns it or may never need to know where it is. I can tell you. No, I'm not. Dunklin County there's a lot of cars I haven't found yet but if I go home, I can tell you where every broken-down old vehicle is in Wayne County. I may not know who owns it. I don't know all the people, but I know where every broken-down old vehicle is. And if you need a part for one, I can probably find it for you. I like to drive every path. But I am thankful that when it comes to making heaven my home, I I find one path. And I stick to it. Go to book of John, chapter 10, and we're going to look a little more at this Thought of the shepherd. I'm going to read verse 7. And he says, Jesus spake unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, without understanding the Englishman's story of the shepherd, I before I heard that, I always thought it was a little bit of an odd phrase here that Christ spoke. I am the door of the sheep. And I didn't really know what that meant, but when I came to understand that the shepherd was the gate to get into the sheep pen... I understand what Christ is saying here when he says, I am the door of the sheep. He's saying when it comes to you coming in, you come by me. And when it comes to you being safe, nothing can get to you except it come by me. It means a whole lot when I read John 10 and 7, when I understand that the only thing between me and the world is Christ laying there as the gap. As he says, I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the shepherd. I am the one that lays in that place. Fence, 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 Jesus. That verse means a whole lot when I understand what he is doing here, being the door of the sheep. He says, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not hear them. Verse 9, I am the door, and by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Verse 17 says, therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Now if you've got some time this week, I would encourage you to look at John chapter 10 and talk a little bit, just kind of dig through a little bit what it is that the shepherd is the door of the sheep and what all that entails. But but really, He is not just the entrance. We, we read of Him being the way, the truth, and the life. We think, okay, we get to Jesus to get to heaven, but He's so much more than just the entrance. He's so much more than just, okay, I've... I've gotten to Jesus so I've made it and that's what he does for me but he is the door that lays in the gap of the fence that anything that comes to me comes through him. I go in and out of the of the shepherd, of the pasture of the fold, the pen, that's the word I'm trying to find. Only by him I go out to get pasture and I'm fed only by him. Everything I do, everything I accomplish should be by him. Because he is The gate between me and everything else. He is the door. He is the one that is willing to lay down his life. Not only is willing, as he's speaking here in the 10th chapter of John, but we can go to the end of the book of John and we can find out that he was willing. Not only is he saying, I will lay down my life, we can look back and know that he did lay down his life. That he cared so much for me. He's not just sitting there. We think of the shepherd and we think, well, he's just sitting in there and keeping stuff out. But what happens when the bear comes? What happens when the lion comes? Now, we know from reading of David that as the bear comes and as the lion comes, it's the shepherd's job to fight the bear. And it's the shepherd's job to fight the lion. this concept of Christ being the door is so much more than just an entrance to heaven. Because life means that sometimes the bear comes and life means that sometimes the lion comes. But if I understand when life happens, if I understand when circumstances arise and I run into things because Christ never said, come to me and all that nothing will ever happen to you again. He didn't say that. I I don't find in scripture that if you um, repent, be baptized, and are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, nothing ever happens. Acts 2.38 doesn't say that. Two doesn't say anything about all my problems disappearing or life sees I still live through life and I still experience life and stuff is still going to happen. Life is still going to happen but if I I can grasp this concept of Christ being the door I understand that when I've got to fight the bear and I've got to fight the lion it's not the sheep fighting the bear and fighting the lion but it's the shepherd. It's not the sheep That the lion has to get past. It's the shepherd, and for the lion for anything to make it into the fold, anything to make it into the sheep pen, the shepherd has to have decided that the lion's able to or the sheep's able to deal with that, because if not, it wouldn't have made it past. If not, it would have been kept out of the fold. If not, it would have been as the bear and the lion that David torn into. It would have been kept out to keep the sheep safe, because the shepherd lies at the gate. John 15, 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You see, the shepherd, he spends a lot of time with his sheep. He gets a little attached to his sheep. And he cares for them. When something happens to his sheep, the shepherd's willing to put his life in the gap for his sheep because he's taking care of them and he's bonded with them and he's come to know them and protect them, and he knows what those sheep mean to him, and he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Christ is willing, was willing. Christ went to Calvary, not just in word. I know a lot of people that say they're willing to do things, and when it comes down to it, maybe they are, and maybe they aren't. When it comes to the situation, I've had friends, oh yeah, I'll help you with this, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, and when it comes time for them to Happen, I call him and say, hey, where are you at? What's, oh, yeah. I I know I said I'd do that, but uh. But greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for his friends. And Christ said it in John 15, 13, but he did it at Calvary. His time on the earth, he's telling them that I. I love you so much that I'll give my life for you, but it's much more than just saying it. It's when Calvary came, he did it. When Calvary came, he went there. He had all power. He did not have to endure Calvary, but he loved me. He did not have to hang on that cross, but he cared for me. He didn't have to sit there and let them drive the nails through his hands. Didn't have to bear the pain as the arms were pulled apart and his weight's hanging in beginning to tear his lungs in two. He didn't have to endure that pain, but he did because he laid in the gap for me. He did because he was my shepherd. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We've called him the great shepherd talked about the parallel all my life. I, I've knew, known that we uh, paralleled Christ with a shepherd, but until I really began to understand what it meant for the sh- to be a shepherd, what it meant for that shepherd that he was willing to lay in that gap and he was willing to be whatever it needed for me to be safe, that parallel didn't mean a whole lot to me. Until I could come to understand that him being the shepherd meant a whole lot more than somebody chasing me around, beating me with a stick when I got out of line. But the crook on the other end of the stick was to pick me up when I fell somewhere I shouldn't have been. Because the shepherd could take the stick with the crook on it he could reach it down and get it around the sheep and he could pick them up out of the problem and place them back into the fold. The sheep is starting to get into something it can't and he could take the the stick and he could kind of steer it away a little bit and When something come in to come against the the sheep, the shepherd could again take that staff and he could begin to whack at it and knock it in the head and get it out of there. See, the shepherd was a whole lot more than just a guy that watched sheep. Because that was, in my mind, now, there again, we had no sheep, but the best parts of being a cattle farmer were watching cows. Now, sure, there's times you had to get them up and, work them and you had to make sure the gate was shut and a lot of things you had to do but, but as a kid running around with my grandpa the best part was, was watching cows unless grandpa's not looking you try to jump on them that's a little more fun but cows don't appreciate it all that much um, but the best part was you get your rocking chair and your sweet tea and you sit there and the gates are closed and once they're, you've put the hay out and everything's done and you sit there and you watch cows but a shepherd just like all the work had to be entailed before i got to see my grandpa sit on the cow on the rocking chair on the front porch with the sweet tea watching cows to do that he had to have been out feeding the cows and he had to have been out taking care of them when there was a problem with birth and getting them all up in the head chute and giving them their shots and tagging their ears and hauling them around and all the work that had to be done fence building and all that was already done before we got to the watching cows part but when i thought of a shepherd and i i read the psalms and i I think of David as a shepherd. Really what came to mind was the the sweet tea and the watching part. I think of him laying in this beautiful green pasture, and he's, I don't know how he got sweet tea in the pasture, but in my mind he's got his sweet tea there, and he's just watching this pretty green pasture, and the sheep are just kind of roaming around down by the little brook babbling by, and Jesus is just out watching sheep. That's what I think of when my mind first went to when I thought he's the shepherd. But when I understand the role of a shepherd, I know what it is to say that he is my shepherd. Because the shepherd is protecting the sheep, and the shepherd is leading the sheep, and the shepherd is rescuing the sheep, and the shepherd is fighting for the sheep. The shepherd is the one that takes care of every need of the sheep. The shepherd doesn't just sit back and watch these pretty white fluffy sheep. The shepherd works so that the guy driving by on the road can look over and say that's a pretty white fluffy sheep. The shepherd is the one doing all the work so that the sheep can be the pretty white fluffy sheep. He doesn't sit back and have this beautiful idyllic setting with the brook babbling and the white sheep and the green field and everything's just perfect, but the shepherd lays in the gap. What do I do with this? I come to notice this this place and realize what all the shepherd has done for me. What do I do with that? Knowledge, and as I ask that question, I'm reminded of some other people that asked, what do I do with that knowledge? Peter, in the book of Acts, is giving his first sermon in the second chapter. And he is a lot like we've talked a little bit this morning of who Jesus is. We're, we're talking about him being the shepherd. Peter has been talking for a few moments about, about who he was, and says, hey, this same Jesus you crucified a few weeks ago, that's, that's who this is. That's what's going on here. And they're asking that same question, what do I do about this? Peter answers, repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. As Peter is answering, he's telling them, the shepherd has already laid his life down in the gap for you. He's already been there and he's already been to Calvary. This has already happened. All that you have to do is take advantage of it. All that you've got to do at this point is walk into the sheepfold. He says, here's salvation, here's how you do it. And all my life I looked at uh, God's plan of salvation, and for the longest time I look at that as, if I'm not careful, as the end. That's what we get to, but that's just the start. That's just me walking into the sheepfold. Me getting to the point of salvation is simply walking in through the gate into the, the fold, but what I can find is that once I'm in there, It's then that the shepherd becomes my door. It's then that he becomes my protector. And it's then that he becomes my rescuer. It's then that he becomes my provider. It's then that he's there. I'm not saying that he never took care of me when I wasn't in the fold. Because I can tell you stories of times that he did. But once I'm in the fold, I know that he is there to take care of me. I can tell you stories of times he provided for me when I didn't deserve it, and i not that we ever deserve it, but when I hadn't made my way into the fold. But I can tell you that the if-then relationship that I have with Jesus didn't happen until I got inside. It wasn't, if you do this, then I will do this. Before that, it was mercy and grace reaching to me. But once I make it into that fold, it's that if you will repent and you will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, I will give you the remission of sins. It was at that point that I began to come into a place of communion with Him. Not that I had, in doing that, merited the mercy and the grace that He gave, because I don't know that I. I do know that I could never merit it. I know that I'm never good enough to make heaven my home. I can't do enough to to get there on my own. But I'm thankful that He is my shepherd. But I am also thankful this morning, as I'm. I think we're about out of time as I'm wrapping up here. I'm also thankful this morning that getting into the fold was not the end. But now, as he being my shepherd, I can walk with him each day. And I can know that for something to get to me, it's got to get through the gate. And in the place where the gate would be is not a few pieces of wood and a couple hinges, but in the place that the gate would be is the creator of the universe. For something to get to me and to come to me, it has to get through there and that means that he knows about it. And I know he cares about me, so that means that if he lets something through there, he knows I can deal with it. Not all, that I can personally deal with it, but if I will trust him, he will deal with it and he will get me through it. Because I know who he is. And as I know what it means for him to be a shepherd. This morning, I I realize that maybe none of this is the deepest, grandest thoughts. It's probably something we've all talked at or looked at before. But as I, I thought this week about gates, and as I was thinking about gates and what happened when I left one open, I began to realize that Christ's gates a whole lot different because He is that gate. He is what keeps me, and He is what protects me, and. He is what provides for me. And I am so thankful this morning that he is my shepherd. You are dismissed for the next few moments. It is 10.46. I ran one minute late, but we'll pick back up at 11. And we'll I'll get into service. Dr. Littles will be speaking to us shortly. Looking forward to that.